friends, would you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Father, we want to come before you with open hearts, open minds, and open ears. Lord, will you speak to us in whatever ways that you want to convict our hearts of truth, in whatever ways you want to inspire us to action? Would you sow these seeds at this time? Will we glorify you, Lord, also in the attitude in which we listen? and in the way in which I speak. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, yes, I think it works. All right, great, great. Uh, this is the cost of pretty slides. Okay, uh, ever since the MCO, so a little over two years, right? Two years, March 2020. We already passed March 2022, yeah. So over two years, uh, online shopping platforms have really taken off, right? Before that already, it was gathering momentum and uh, becoming very popular, but MCO, wow, boom, right? The, the online shopping platforms. I know for me, uh, I did a few purchases, you know, like one, and then a few months later, another one, that kind of thing. MCO came. Wow, now my list cannot, too long already, have to search. Okay, so whether you're a fan of Shopee or Lazada, you can find almost everything that you want. What, whatever you need, whatever you want, you just think about it, you can search for it, probably can find it somehow, okay? Without having to hunt for it, you know, go shop to shop, look at all the shelves, go and ask the, the, the clerk, and then they tell you, I don't know, you go look for yourself, and then you go to the next shop and you look, okay? You, you can really find anything you want, all that matters is the price. And of course, you have to wait for delivery lah. But if you've done any online shopping before, you know that if you search for a certain item, you don't just get one research result, right? You get a whole multitude of choices. Sometimes it's overwhelming. There are several pages of the same item. Okay, there are all kinds of different brands, uh, different sellers from different locations, whether Peninsula, Malaysia, East Malaysia, especially a lot of China, China, China. Uh, and they're all selling at very different prices. Sometimes the exact same product selling for very different prices. And if you're looking for something like garbage bags or rubber bands or whatever, it's easy to find them very cheap. Okay, this garbage bag only 87 cents. I'm not advertising, huh? okay, please. I have no affiliation with this shop. Uh, just an example. So you can find some things very, very, very cheap. But you want to get something like a computer, or mobile phone, the cost shoots up, right? 87 cents, now you, you get a 16-inch MacBook. I don't know whether it's 10.8K or 14.8K, but anyway, that's the, the rough price. And so, if you, the, the, the more 
certain items are priced much higher. But if you came across a seller selling a particular model of computer or mobile phone for a quarter of the usual price, then, and there's no 8-8 sale or anything like that, you'll find it for a quarter of the price. So for example, you'll find this, this MacBook Pro, instead of 10K, it's now like 3K or 4K. You will definitely feel like suspicious, right? Something is wrong, right? You wonder whether is this a scam? You know, are they, are they actually trying to sell an old model? Uh, are, they, are they selling something that is secondhand? Or was it stolen? You, know, you, you wouldn't think that this is the real deal. But if you saw the exact same thing, this specific model sold for double the usual price, so 20K, you also wouldn't buy it, right? And that's because the cost of something would usually match its value, okay? You, you expect to pay a certain amount for what that thing is worth. And sure, you can save a bit here and there when there are sales, uh, whether 8, 8, 9, 9, 10, 10, 11, 11, 12, 12, whatever. Uh, you can save on free shipping, but you will find that the price doesn't really drop that much. Actually, Tipu One, if you go and look at all the 8, 8, 9, 9, 10, 10 sales, uh, the price is almost the same one. They discount like... They, they mark it up and then they discount, so it's the same price. So the, the, the value of that thing will affect the cost. And the value doesn't go down unless maybe it's replaced with a newer model, uh, then the cost will go down, right? Or maybe it's been very long since the, the, the product was first launched and the next one is almost going to launch, uh, then the value will go down, then the cost will go down. And so that brings me to our big idea for today. And that is, when we are convinced of the value of knowing and obeying God, we will be willing to pay the cost for it. Okay? So this is a takeaway message if you forget everything. This is a thing to remember. When we are convinced of the value of knowing and obeying God, we will be willing to pay the cost for it. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we saw how the Holy Spirit came upon the believers at Jerusalem. And after that, the apostles preached the gospel, church grew, uh, they performed healings, they preached some more, a number of believers continued to grow, so the church is growing, growing, growing. Amidst all this, we saw a picture of how God intended the church to be. United, loving God and loving one another in action, sharing with one another and all that. But not everything is sunshine and rainbows for the church. It doesn't stay happy, happy, okay? Uh, in today's passage, we see an example of some of the, some of the, the uh, not-so-nice side of the early church. Uh, it's actually the second time that the Sanhedrin are called together to address this threat to their teachings and their way of life. The first time was in Acts chapter 4, verse 1 to 22. So this is after the healing of the lame beggar at the temple gate called Beautiful. Okay, Brother Chong Jin uh, shared about that a few weeks ago. And so after they had healed that man, uh, the, the, they were imprisoned okay, for, for a day, and then they were brought to, to uh, a trial before the Sanhedrin, and they were charged uh, no, not to teach in the name of Jesus anymore, basically. They commanded them. 
stop preaching about Jesus, okay? So Peter and John, uh, they, they went through that already. Ah, yeah, yeah. So, so they were in prison for a day and then, you know, they, they uh, went through that, that taste of persecution. But at that point, the Sanhedrin was afraid because a healing had occurred and uh, the people were very, very, like, they were all praising God and everything. And so they, they were afraid that if they did something to, to Peter and John, then they would have been perceived as going against God lah, because God is the one who brings healing, right? So uh, they let them go. They just told them, don't preach anymore in Jesus' name. Now later, in Acts chapter 5, verse 12 to 16, uh, which is just, just before our scripture reading for today, the apostles are again performing signs and wonders. They are healing. They are delivering people from impure spirits. And the church is growing. People are flocking to the apostles. And this causes the high priest and company to be filled with jealousy. Okay, they were uh, feeling threatened by how quickly the church was growing and by how highly regarded the apostles were by the people. At this point, the apostles were very respected by the, the people. And on top of this, the religious authorities took their preaching about the cross of Jesus to mean, as, uh, to, to mean that they were accusing them. Okay, so they took it as an accusation that they were guilty for the death of Jesus, which actually they were. Lah. Okay, but this was not the point, this was not the purpose of the apostles' preaching. Their message was not about condemning humans, but about how Jesus had reversed the condemnation that all humanity was already in. So, I mean, siapa makan chili rasa pedas, right? Uh, so the, 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 the religious authorities felt like, hey, you're accusing us of killing this Jesus. Uh, so they arrested the apostles, right? And they put them in the public jail, the religious police, threw them into prison to hold them for a trial. But an angel opens the door for them in the middle of the night. Okay, so this is not the first time that this will happen. Huh? And this angel tells them, angel of the Lord, tells them to go to preach to the worshippers in the temple courts. Now up to this point, uh, sorry, a bit small, huh? but up to this point, the, the apostles had been preaching outside the temple, okay, at Solomon's colonnade or... Solomon's portico, Solomon's porch, whatever you want to call it, uh, it's the arrow on the upper left-hand corner. Okay, so that is actually outside the temple. It is around the periphery of the temple, but it's on the outside. Okay, beautiful gate is is the the gate that enters into the temple. That's where the healing of the the lame man occurred. Okay, so up to this point, the the apostles have been preaching at this area outside the temple. Now the angel tells them, go and preach inside the temple. Go and preach in the temple courts, which is basically the court of Gentiles or whatever, is all inside the temple already. Now, how do you think the religious authorities would have felt about that? Right? They, they, they had already imprisoned the apostles for preaching outside. Now they go inside and preach. But the apostles obeyed, and this shows great courage on their part. So that's the first thing I want us to look at, the courage of the apostles. 
Now imagine being thrown into prison by the religious authorities. An angel opens the door, but the angel doesn't say, run away or go and hide. The angel says, basically he says, make the people who throw you into prison even more angry. Go and preach inside the, the temple. All right, how would most people feel? They feel scared, right? If, if they were thrown into prison for preaching outside the temple, the very next day they are found preaching inside the temple, surely they are asking for something worse than prison. But the apostles obeyed. Why? Well, just now we saw how the, the, the cost that we are willing to pay for something should match its value, right? And so when something is valuable enough, then we will be willing to pay the cost for that value. Well, the cost that the apostles are asked to pay here is the, their freedom and their safety. Okay, because if they obeyed, the cost they're paying is basically they're going to be captured again. Okay? And the temple is such a public place, surely they will be cited. They will be brought back to the authorities after they're discovered they're not in their cell. But even though they knew that was the cost to pay, they paid it and they obeyed God. And this is because the cost of their freedom and safety was worth the value of testifying about the gospel and the new life that it brings. They felt, or, or rather they were convinced that the, the importance of, of testifying about the gospel, preaching the gospel of Jesus, is worth that cost of their freedom and safety. They saw the commandment given to them to make disciples and bear witness about Jesus and their gospel as that important, more important than their freedom and safety. Jesus himself gave a value to the gospel message. So this is the parable of uh, the treasure hidden in the field and also the parable of the pearl of great price, right? And basically the, the, the message of that parable is that the kingdom of heaven is of such great value that anyone who comes across it would be willing to pay the price to give up everything that they have in order to to, to get it, lah, to be part of the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so Jesus himself tells about the value of the gospel message. Paul also considered the message of the gospel of Jesus as boundless riches. So again, exceedingly high value. So the apostles considered the gospel valuable enough to pay the price of their freedom and safety. They would not have gone to jail just so that they can tell people about what they had for breakfast, right? That's not a high enough value. But the message of the gospel was worth the trouble and suffering of prison and other punishment. Friends, there'll be times when proclaiming the gospel, whether through words or by how you live, how you live the Christian life with conviction and integrity, there'll be times when proclaiming the gospel will threaten to cause you trouble or suffering. Whether it's at home or in your workplace, in your school or college or whatever, even in church sometimes. <laughs> Perhaps people start avoiding you and they give you nicknames and they say, you know, you always gong ye so yeah. 
Uh, every time I come across you, you always want to talk about Jesus. One, uh, avoid, avoid. Uh, or maybe you don't get invited to hang out with your colleagues anymore because you know, you're not a good sport. Lah. You never get drunk like everybody else. No fun. Or, or maybe you, you never take part in talking bad about your boss. And so they're like, you're not one of us. How can we trust you if you don't want to talk bad about our boss? Or, or maybe you, you even get dismissed because HR has a strict no talking about your faith in the workplace policy that you didn't know about. Uh, and somebody asks you about your faith and then you were just answering them honestly and then somebody heard it and reported you. You cannot dismiss. Whatever way that you are persecuted for your faith, take heart. The value of faithfully proclaiming the gospel to this world is worth the cost, whatever the cost it is of proclaiming it. Now, on top of the value of obeying the Great Commission, the apostles had great courage because they had the Holy Spirit in them. For the apostles, their courage is not just from the, the experience of God and you know, all the miracles that they see, but also the assurance of the Holy Spirit whom they had received. See, after the first imprisonment of uh, Peter and John, the believers came together to pray. Okay, and they prayed, one of the things that they prayed for was boldness. They prayed for boldness to speak the, the, the word of God and their prayer was answered. The, the Spirit filled them and they were bold to speak the word of God. But the Holy Spirit didn't just embolden them to be witnesses. The Holy Spirit was also witnessing together with them. You see here in verse 32, the apostles say, we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. So the Spirit in them. You see, when we are witnesses for our faith, we are not alone. It is not something that we do by ourselves. The Holy Spirit dwelling in us is witnessing together with us. He's bringing conviction of truth to the hearts of those who would embrace the Lord Jesus and so we know that when we are witnessing to the gospel, uh, witnessing about the gospel to others, we don't do it alone. The Holy Spirit is there, not just helping us, but He is taking part of that work as well. So if you're ever fearful about the prospect of sharing your faith, you can prepare in advance, you know, do every, every uh, preparation that you can, you know, use a tool to help you to memorize and present the gospel message. You can do all that. But don't forget that the most important part of witnessing to our faith is the presence and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Now let's pause here to ponder on our first reflection or discussion question. Firstly, the value of the gospel message is worth more than everything we could ever have. What is the highest price you've paid so far? in order to proclaim it. Okay, something for us to reflect on. And for the kids, how hard will you study for a surprise quiz compared to an important exam? Okay, and parents, you can... Uh, uh, how, how, imp sorry, uh, how important is the gospel message compared to a school exam? Okay, so parents, you can take this opportunity to quickly explain the gospel message if necessary. Okay, let's take two minutes for this reflection.
Okay, so we've looked at the courage of the apostles. Let's now look at their conviction. Now, the courage of the apostles... Oops, sorry. Okay, yeah, the courage of the, of the apostles meant that instead of escaping from prison, they went straight back to the temple to preach the gospel from the break of dawn. So easy to find, right? And so they were brought before the highest judicial council known as the Sanhedrin. Okay? So the Sanhedrin is basically like the, the highest uh, deciding body, the highest authority, religious authority. It's made up of the high priest together with 70 other religious elders. And Annas, the high priest, rebukes the apostles for disobeying the command. So they had given Peter and John that command in Acts chapter 4, right? Don't speak, don't teach in the name of Jesus. And they had gone ahead and done it. Lah. And so the high priest is rebuking them. And with courage from the Holy Spirit, the apostles reply, we must obey God rather than human beings. Now, there are a few Greek words that can mean obey. And these words are more commonly used for the word obey in the New Testament. But in this particular verse, verse 29, the Greek word for obey is more rare. Okay? And it means not just to listen and uh, be persuaded, but it means to obey authority. Okay? Specifically, to obey authority. Obedience as a result of authority. So when Peter and the apostles are telling the Sanhedrin uh, we must obey God rather than human beings, they're really saying that they must obey the authority of God over the authority of human beings. So the question of obedience here is not about the command, whether the command is worth obeying. The question is really about the authority of the one doing the commanding whether the authority is worth submitting to. Okay, so this is actually very similar to something that Peter and John had said to them earlier in chapter 4 when they were first detained. They said, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. Okay, so very daring. Huh? <laughs> what they're doing here is a direct challenge to the authority of the Sanhedrin. Okay, remember, they are the highest religious authority in the whole of Jerusalem. Nobody more powerful than them, other than the Romans maybe, but in, in terms of religious stuff, uh, they were the highest. And so Peter and John and, and the rest of the apostles were directly challenging their authority because the, the Sanhedrin assumed they were the ones who decided and acted with God's authority. So the value that we see here for the apostles is this, a strong conviction in absolute obedience to God's authority over all others. That is what the apostles valued here in this moment, a very strong conviction of absolute obedience to God's authority over all others, and that no human authority was greater than God's. Besides, all human authorities have been placed over us by God himself, right? As Romans chapter 13, verse 1 reminds us. 
And so this means that submitting to those in authority over us is a form of submitting to God's authority because He has placed those human authorities over us. But this cannot possibly happen when it is in direct conflict with God's command. And when that happened for the apostles, they stood by their conviction that God was the highest authority, they had to obey the highest authority. And so that is the value, that conviction of absolute obedience to God. And the cost was very expensive. It cost the disciples dearly. It cost them peace. It cost them right standing with these human authorities. The conflict and persecution that the apostles and you know, most of the believers of the early church will continue to experience uh, were because of their willingness to pay the cost for the value of obeying God instead of men. And so we'll see in today's passage, it's just they, they're imprisoned. They go to prison, uh, they're brought before the Sanhedrin, they're accused, whatever. They get flogged, they get beaten, okay, whipped. But it would continue you will see throughout the book of Acts and into Paul's letters and, and the letters of the apostles, it eventually escalates to death, stoning, martyrdom, systematic persecution by the Roman authorities. Okay, so the value of absolute obedience, the apostles were willing to pay the cost of basically being an enemy of those in authority, enemies of the state. Sometimes we put a limit to our obedience to God. We say we can't obey Him because of, of a whole bunch of reasons, you know. Our circumstances, uh, other people don't let us obey Him. Maybe even ourselves, uh, we, we have a specific habit, we have a specific, uh, uh, we're born this way or whatever. And so we, we give different reasons for why we cannot obey God. But what it really boils down to is where our conviction lies. How fully we obey God boils down to where our conviction lies. Is what God wants and what God thinks really more important than what we or others want or what we or others think? If we value obedience to God as more important than obedience to humans, then we would pay the cost of any sort of uh, conflict with humans when it comes to obeying God. Well, okay, what if we know all this, you know, and we know that, okay, obey God rather than men, but still difficult, lah. still very difficult to obey God. How? What if we have difficulty obeying God? Well, I, I don't know if I've mentioned this here before, I might have, um, but I believe that if we have an obedience problem, we actually have a love problem. If we have an obedience problem, we actually have a love problem. Uh, we just had our Cocker Spaniel, Holly, uh, put to sleep a few days ago. And she, she was getting very sick lah, okay, and very old. But back when she could actually hear uh, and, and see my wife and I very clearly, we usually had no trouble getting her to obey us. 
And as long as she understands what we want, because she wasn't very smart, uh, and, and it was within her control, a lot of her, <laughs> her bladder and bowels didn't have a lot of control, but as long as she understood what we wanted and it was within her control, she would always gladly obey us. And that's because she loved us. Okay, that's why Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Because obedience is an expression of love. But I want to go a step further to say that so, so if we have an obedience problem, we have a love problem. I want to go a step further to say that if we have a love problem, we have a faith problem. Okay? If we have a love problem, then we have a faith problem. Because anyone who truly believes that God would send His only Son to die for us while we were still sinners, while we were still consider, considered enemies to Him, while we were still so unlovable and he would still die for us, how can we not love him? If we truly believed in the God of the Bible and he reveals himself extensively throughout the Bible to be good, to be loving, to be merciful, to be you know, truthful, unable to lie, always planning towards the good of all who love him, if we truly believe in the God who has revealed himself to be so lovable in the Bible, how can we not love him? I love Tolly very much, uh, together with the rest of my pets. Huh? And I, I love my wife so much more. Uh, she didn't pay me to say that. But none of them have sacrificed themselves to save me from eternal death nor are any of them perfect. Yet, I love them so. And I'm sure many of you can say the same thing about your own family and friends. So how can we not love the Lord who initiated a love relationship with us first? Purely out of love, not because of anything we did for Him. I can only think of one way. And that is, we don't actually believe all that. If we don't actually believe all that God reveals about Himself in His Word, how do we love Him? And if we don't love Him, how do we obey Him? So friends, are you absolutely convinced about your Christian faith? I think this is a hard question to ask especially for those of us who might have grown up in church for many, many years and decades, born into Christian families, are you absolutely convinced about your Christian faith? Are you convinced about what God teaches about Himself and the world and you? No one is going to suffer for something that they don't believe in. If you have real conviction in the value of following Jesus, the cost is definitely worth paying. But if you don't have that conviction, then may I just challenge you to seek Him until you do. If you've, if you've searched your heart and you find that 
I don't know how convinced I am. I don't have that firm and strong conviction. It's not bringing me to that place of faith and, and love and obedience. Then do something about it. Seek God until you find Him. The promise of Jeremiah to the, to the exiles still applies to us today. That when we seek the Lord, we will find Him. It's according to His time, huh? not according to our time. But if we keep seeking Him, we will find Him. Let's look at our second question for today. Which do you struggle with the most? Obeying God? Loving God? Or believing God? And why do you think that is? And for the kids, how easy or how difficult do you find it to obey God? So parents, you can use this opportunity to encourage them to greater love for God, greater faith in God. Okay, two minutes. Let's look at our last point, the countenance of the apostles. Now, when I was preparing this message, I wanted to elaborate more about Gamaliel and his defense of the apostles, but I, I need to skip over that in the interest of time. But uh, I just wanted to highlight it so that you can study up on Gamaliel on your own time. He's a fascinating character. God uses him to save the apostles from being sentenced to death in this passage. And uh, yeah, so if you have time, please do go and look up Gamaliel, okay? Read about him. But let's go straight to verse 40. 
they called the apostles in. So Gamaliel's speech, uh, basically persuaded the Sanhedrin, okay, don't sentence them to death, uh, which they didn't actually have the authority to do. Only the Romans could do that, but maybe they could have done what they did to Jesus. Lah. Okay, bring them to the authorities and say, eh, we want them to, to be sentenced to death. So Gamaliel's speech persuaded the Sanhedrin, okay, the apostles uh, don't get sentenced to death. So they called the apostles in, had them flogged, okay? And then they ordered them, again, not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now, this flogging, when they're released from prison, uh, before they're released from prison, they're flogged. This flogging is not the same as our modern caning, okay? So, uh, whether in school, uh, public caning, probably nowadays don't have already, uh, uh, or in prison when there's, there's uh, caning as a, as a punishment of crime or whatever. Not the same, okay? This flogging is a severe punishment uh, carried out by the Jews known as the 40 lashes minus one or 40 lashes less one. Uh, something that the Apostle Paul went through five times, okay? He records that. And it's, by the way, it's 39 lashes because the law of Moses prevented them from going over 40 lashes. So they stopped at 39 just in case they miscount. Huh? But 39 lashes was already pretty bad. Okay? These were, were prisoners who went through great pain and disgrace. Uh, there were at least a few instances where people had died from these floggings before. Okay? So it's not just... Uh, hit you a bit, naughty child. Uh, it's serious, like, can bring people close to death kind of thing. And it's not just the pain, but there was also a stigma attached to uh, flogging, okay? Uh, whipping or, or beating. Uh, there was a shame attached to being whipped in that culture. And they also probably had to be, you know, stripped in order to be to be. Uh, and so there's a lot of shame surrounding it as well. But despite the pain and the shame, the apostles were not discouraged. They were not traumatized. They, they don't give up preaching the gospel and go look for other things to do that are less difficult and less painful. Instead, verses one, uh, 41 to 42 tells us that their response to this painful and shameful treatment is to rejoice and continue doing exactly what caused them to be flogged in the first place. They continue to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. So we learn from the apostles here that even in the worst of circumstances, we can have a joyful countenance when we go through it for the glory of God. Or you can imagine the pain and humiliation they were gone through with these 39 lashes physically, mentally, emotionally, no reason to celebrate. Anyone going through similar circumstances, I think if, uh, if we had gone through that sort of thing, we'll find it very easy to just you know, feel sorry for ourselves. I was so painful, so shameful. Uh, or, or maybe feel like angry and bitter at the religious authorities. Why are they so blind? Why can't they see their Messiah? or uh, the injustice of it all, why is everything so unfair? But the focus of the apostles was not in their own suffering 
and not in their own shame. Rather, their focus was that their suffering and their shame was not meaningless. It was not a result of their own sin. Instead, their physical suffering and shame was the cost of following Jesus. And that was a price they rejoiced to pay for the value of being counted worthy to go through it for the sake of Jesus. It's a bit like a soldier who uh, takes a bullet for the commanding officer and then he lies dying in, in, in the officer's arms. He's like, it's worth it for you, sir. It was a great honour, something like that, okay? And so Peter will also write about this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13, where he says, Rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. The good news is that we know that the revelation of the glory of Jesus will be complete when he comes again and those who belong to him enter into eternity. The glory of Jesus will be complete. Friends, we live for more than this world and its temporary circumstances. As citizens of, kingdom of, of the kingdom of God, we have access to eternal life without sin and suffering. We have access to a glorified and imperishable body. We have access to new heavens and new earth unbroken eternal fellowship with God and these things that are eternal are already guaranteed to us through the sacrifice of Jesus through faith in Jesus nothing can remove this guarantee from us and this alone is cause for rejoicing friends when we have something so good and perfect and permanent waiting for us, everything that stands in the way of that can, should not quench the joy of knowing that that waits for us. So the next time joy feels distant and out of reach, and it's easy to say, but would you try? Would you cast your eyes away from yourself, away from your circumstances, away from the things causing you misery and pain, will you look upon the eternal promises guaranteed to us through faith in Jesus? Because nothing can take that away from us. Would you remember the words of David, that weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning? Let's look at our final question for today. Think of something currently causing you pain or grief. What does God have to say about it in light of eternity? And for the kids, what is something that makes you feel sad? What do you think God thinks about it? Two minutes.
In conclusion, I'd like you to know that when we are convinced of the value of knowing and obeying God, we will be, pay, we will be willing to pay the cost for it. I'd like you to be courageous and able to rejoice despite suffering for the name of Jesus and do obey God out of love for Him and faith in Him. May we pray. Lord, we bring ourselves before you. You search our hearts. You know where we stand before you in matters of obedience, in matters of love and faith. And so, Lord, we acknowledge and confess many times we have not obeyed you. We have not obeyed what we know you desire of us. For that, we are sorry. We confess and we ask for your forgiveness. Lord, will you remove our sins from us? Would you help us to repent and turn away from the wrong behaviour, patterns of thinking, habits that we pursue? Oh Lord, some of us also struggle to love you. That in all honesty, some of us may come to church out of obligation, out of duty, because it's expected, because of perceptions. And Lord, I bring those of us who struggle to love you. I bring us before you. Lord, would you reveal would you reveal a greater knowledge of who you are to those who struggled loving you? Would you reveal a greater understanding through your word and through experience with you of how good and how loving and how gracious and how patient and how kind and how amazing you are? Lord, for all the things that the devil has done to distort and to deceive and to twist the truth of who you are. I pray that you'll break those things down. Will you break any barrier between us and the truth of who you are? Holy, loving, good, absolutely. And Lord, for some of us, we struggle with faith. We struggle with simply believing certain things about you or maybe even believing that you exist at all. And Lord, for those of us who struggle with that, I pray that your Holy Spirit will bring conviction to our hearts. And so friends, at this time, I just want to invite you right now before the Lord, wherever you are, will you just be real with Him? Whether you struggle with obedience or you struggle with love or you struggle with faith, will you be real before God? Would you tell Him? Would you tell Him that you need Him? Would you tell Him that you need 
the Holy Spirit's empowering, the Holy Spirit's conviction, the Holy Spirit's encouragement. And if you've not yet placed, you've realized that you've not fully placed your faith in Jesus, that you've not ever truly come to that point where you have believed him and, it, and believed what he has done for you, I invite you now to take that step. If you are not sure, would you be sure and take that step? Would you pray to him and ask for forgiveness? Ask for him to come into your life. Ask for salvation. If that's your desire and you want to accept Jesus into your life, maybe for the first time, maybe you're not sure or maybe you just want to reaffirm it, may, may I pray for you now. Lord, you know those who are seeking you, those who have not known you but seek you now. I pray, Lord, that you will answer them. I pray that you will give them a strong conviction that if they give their life to you, they belong to you and they are yours. And for those of us who do know the Lord Jesus but still want to seek him further, may I also pray for you now. Lord, I pray for those who have known you maybe for a while, maybe shorter. But Lord, as they bring themselves before you and they seek you, I ask, Lord, that you will answer. I ask that you will be found, whether it's in prayer or in the reading of your word or in fellowship with other believers. Lord, would you help them to experience you would, they, would you help them to encounter you? I pray, Lord, that you, your presence would be felt in their daily life. That all who seek you will find you. We claim that promise. And we ask, Lord, for patience, perseverance in the endeavor. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God who is so loving and so kind. Thank you. We pray that out of all this, we would all be brought into a greater knowledge of who you are and that will enable us to live lives with greater conviction, that we will be willing to pay the cost of following you. Thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.